Vinny Longy, thank you so much for coming on today. How are you, bud? Good. Thank you, Poptimus Podcast, for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. Of course, dude. Um, Vinny, you're one of my heroes in Nashville. Oh, man, I haven't even been in Nashville that long. How can I be a hero? <laughs> because you have a good work ethic, and you call yourself out on your own bullshit. And I've said this on the podcast before. You learn from all of your mistakes. You have to learn from your mistakes. That's the only way to go about it, I think, <laughs> especially if you're trying to be a musician. Oh, yeah, especially if you're trying to be an independent musician. Sure. That's the only way to do it because th there's so many experiences that I've had the past six years and even prior to me living in Nashville where if you really want to have a big ego and decide that you're not a problem, the whatever your problem is will follow you onto the next project or you'll encounter something similar again. It's just the human condition of working with people. Sure. No, and I, I understand. And, 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 you know, wearing multiple hats as an independent musician, you have to realize that there is a bit of ego that goes into it. Yeah, my world, the semi-supervillains, my band, is I am the sun. And everything revolves around me, as it should. Yeah. But with that being said, you do have to, you know, take a step back and realize, like, okay, I can sometimes, you know, because of my ego, I can wear other people the wrong way sometimes. So I need to be conscious of that and make sure that I'm not making anyone upset with any decisions I make with band members, you know, anyone in the music scene, that, that sort of thing. Just because especially when you're someone who's relatively new to a music scene, you know, you don't want to jump right in and start making people mad right off the bat, you know, because that's just going to not help out your career in the right way. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's, there's a delicate balance to it for sure. Cause I, I've been asking myself really lately, like, what does it mean to have character? What does it mean to you to have character? Um, like your style, your branding, or? No, no, as a human being. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I follow. <laughs> so, like, you were talking about just, like, trying to treat people the right way and do the right thing. Sure. So I've been wondering just from my own personal interactions with people, because when something goes wrong, you can very easily blame everybody else and pretend it's not your fault, but it gets you nowhere and it gets the other person nowhere. So I guess what I mean by what does it mean to have character? What, what is it really that is the right thing to do, you know, when trying to work with people, asking yourself those questions. Am I doing right by this person? Is this fair for me to ask someone else to do? Is this something I would do? Is this something I'm capable of doing? Sure. sure. So that's what I kind of mean. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally understand that. You know, at some point, you know, you have to realize, like, you know, when you are an independent musician, you wear multiple hats. And when I say wear multiple hats, you know, you have to book your own shows. You have to, um, you know, sometimes record your own music. You know, you have to promote your own music. You have to run your own social media, you know, because we don't have unlimited budgets where we can hire people. And, you know, with what small budgets we do have, is it worth it? Should I pay someone to do my social media or can I do that myself? Or am I just being lazy? You know, there's, there's, there's 24 hours in a day. And there's a lot of times you can take breaks and make a post or something like that. And there's a lot of people, I mean, the, the whole thing with the music industry too is being as efficient as possible. And my, I always, I guess I harp this, I can't 
if you want something done, you got to do it yourself. And that's kind of my philosophy because I've, you know, I've played in bands in my band for the past, you know, 10, 12 years now. And if I want to get stuff done, I need to be the, you know, put the pants on and, and take care of it, you know, myself. So that's just kind of my, my mantra, I guess. Um, there are limitations, you know, you can only go so far, you know, you, you, you go down the rabbit hole of learning to record yourself or to produce. And that's great for, for efficiency standpoint, but Again, there's only so many hours in a day, and, and you know, with, with that, you, you, you still have your, your nine-to-five jobs and things like that, and, you know, sometimes you do need to, you do need to um, you know, hire someone to do a certain aspect of your band or promoting your product. Um, my suggest, or in my case, you know, I'm saying music videos. I'm not even going to try to edit, you know, a high-quality music video. I have to, you know, pony up and, and pay a professional to do that type of thing for me. Um, so I guess that's kind of like at some point I have to realize like I can't I like actually can't do this and I need to actually hire someone to do that and, and I think for a lot of those higher level things uh, that's where I find myself that I'm saying you know I'm saying I need to get someone else to do it for me but you have the self-awareness to be able to take a step back and say this is not something oh sure I can do or this is not something I really have sure I mean I have I mean like I said I'm a front man for a band I have a huge ego but at some point I need to realize and say no I'm not I'm not a this 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 oracle of a video editor or a video you know I had no I if only if only right but I I don't I don't have that ability And, and I think that's an important step of maturity and I think for any artist you need to realize like you know you know, if it's maybe if it's recording and you say, I, I need to stop recording my own demos and, and go to somebody else, or I need to, you know, stop playing my own guitar solos because they're really bad and have somebody else do it. And, you know, the same thing with, uh, you know, maybe I should hire an actual drummer to play on these tracks and not have me do it or, you know, and, and be a hack and make my engineer pull out his hair because he's having to make in 70,000 edits on my drum takes, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of things. It's, it's, it's taking a step back and realizing like what, and evaluating myself is what I do. Like, what do I do efficiently? What do I do well? And what is an area that I can reach out? And especially in a community like Nashville, when there's so many great musicians and so many great, uh, you know, media people that I could reach out to and, and you know, or would be more than happy to help, you know, with the right financial incentive, um, if you catch my drift. Yeah. Oh, I catch <laughs> your drift. It's always a, a catch-22, though. You know, is it is it right to... Or is this the right situation to be able to bring someone else in on, which is kind of what you're, you're talking about in a way of like, okay, well, I can't play drums. I can put a little pocket money in, in for someone to play drums for me. Sure. So it's a win-win. Right. I mean, and that too, if, if, if you're a songwriter, instead of, you know, if, if your drum is, drums are your fourth instrument, you know, you sing and you play guitar or piano, whatever, and you can play drums a little bit. Why not? Why not call a drummer and, and ask him to play on a track? Give him, give him a little bit of money. Have him play on the song. Um, you know, you you make a friend that way. You you network that way. It's I think I think it's a really smart thing to do. That's kind of my philosophy when it comes to making records, too. I've always used multiple drummers on on my albums just because you know I, I I'm a huge fan of the drums. I love I, I can barely play them, but I just love how they sound. I, I think just the basis of rock music is electric guitar and drums. No offense, I know you're a bass player, but I really think, you know, for for every rock song that I'm a huge fan of growing up, it's always been like a the great like rock, the like rock guitar and drums that go together. And oh, I yeah. think that's just and there's and drums are there's so many different drummers and different styles and I I just I, I love having lots of drummers on a record just because you get a lot of different, you know, feeling and things like that. Well, when you're a songwriter too, you want to color the song like the best way that you can. 
Sure. You know what I mean? I think like I really love Quentin Tarantino because he always hires the right actors for the right roles. Sure. Even though he writes the dialogue. Right. But they might say it in a different way than he originally imagined, whatever it is, you know? Sure. No, I, I, I totally get that, you know? And I, and I will say, put a little plug in here, but uh, my, my song that rec- recently dropped, Joyride, uh, check it out by the Semi Supervillains. I actually used your, your buddy uh, James Varner on, yes. on that track. Uh, James Varner played, he ended up playing on two songs of the record, Logan Compton, uh, he did, did the rest of it, but I just, I've seen, I've, I've seen James play a lot, uh, live since moving to Nashville, and, uh, we did a session a couple of months ago where James was a drummer, and I was just really impressed with his playing, and I was like, man, I gotta get this guy on a recording, and, and, you know, the, the songs that he, uh, did for me, I mean, he absolutely crushed, just because they're in his wheelhouse of the stuff that he's playing every day with, um, Year of October, his, main band and then a lot of his other uh bands that he plays with, with yeah you know, every other band he plays with which is with me yeah yeah pretty much but uh, yeah no he, he he did a great job and then and logan too man he's an excellent drummer just um i would say james punishes the drums but logan he kind of flows with the drums if, if that makes sense like yeah. the drums kind of push back at logan and i think that's good for the style of the songs that he did on the record as well so it's just it's just a really really dynamic record coming out january 14th uh we're gonna drop another single here uh, pretty soon, so f- make sure you follow us on the socials uh, to 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 catch that. But you can listen to Joyride right now. What's the record called? It's called Play That Rock and Roll. That's right to the point. I love it. Yep, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty rootsy. Uh, you know, we had uh, the, the other performers on the record are Isaac Short, uh, Isaac, and I go way back. We were um, Isaac from the Weird Sisters. Isaac from the Weird Sisters. For those of you in the Nashville scene, but Isaac and I, uh, we grew up. Uh, uh, more or less grew up together in, in the Pittsburgh, Western Pennsylvania. Uh, we've been, we've, I, I met him for the first time probably maybe 10 years ago. We, our bands played shows together uh, at the Smiling Moose and other venues in Pittsburgh. Uh, and then he moved down here a couple years before I did. Um, you know, he's been tearing up with the Weird Sisters. Just absolutely love everything that they're putting out right now. It's just such an interesting... Uh, from just like my, the geek side of, of, of me as a musician, I just love it. And, and on the, on the flip side of that too, they, they do have some really great catchy songs too. I really believe in the stuff that they're doing. It's so cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, uh, a couple of months ago, they showed me some of their new tracks Sure. and they're nasty. Oh yeah. I bet. I don't want to reveal too much cause I don't know how much they've said publicly, but sure. it's fucking good. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Isaac, he's a, he's a freak of nature. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, what the, the, I remember when we first met, he kind of looked like Pat Carney, you know, he had the short, the, the, that short haircut and the glasses, and he was playing it uh, with this band called the Mad Cat Zisk and the Mad Hats, but uh, it was it was it was a cool band. He was playing the same uh, same little Marshall he still has. Was uh, he playing the SG or the Les Paul? No, this is before he got those. He had he played a Strat back then, actually. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, it was a nice me- Mexican Strat, like a David Gilmour looking Strat, all black, uh, but it was worn through. It, you know, it, even he was probably only seventeen or eighteen at the time, but it was worn through. Like you know, you could tell that he was a young guy, but he had played his guitar a lot, and he was he was good back then too. Just uh, you could tell he's just someone who just loves playing guitar from the minute you look at him. <laughs> oh yeah, I love his uh, his Les Paul. Sure. That Les Paul is the nastiest Les Paul I've ever played. Yeah, so that's a it, it's a black Les Paul standard, uh, I believe. Or, I think so. Yeah. yeah, signed by Joe Bonamassa. Signed by Joe Bonamassa. Yeah. I don't know if Isaac wants me to publicly disclose that, but he uh, he uh, he has that guitar signed by Joe Bonamassa, and it, it sounds good. He used that on Gina 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 whenever we recorded that. Right, and that's the that's the opening tune for the podcast. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That, that listeners may have just heard. So just to put that into context. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it, it just sounds so good. It's just like sometimes when you find the right guitar, it has the juice to it. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I, don't even get me started on guitars. We'll geek out over guitars for the next two hours. But no, I, I agree. The, different, different, the guitars to me, they're like tools in the, in the tool shed. You know, you have, you know, you have your hammer, your drill, your saw, your, you know, your telly, your Les Paul, your Rickenbacker. You know, they all do different things. And sometimes, you know... You can you can you can bang a nail with the drill. It might not work the best, but it you could get a cool result. It gets the job done. It, it gets the job done, but you could get a cool result. And some you know a lot of times I think you mentioned before um, that sometimes working with limitations or, or something like that is when you get the, your most creativeness. Yeah. Oh, or yeah. creativity. Sorry, I misspoke, but but uh, you know sometimes if you if you if you stuck if you stuck yourself in a room with only one type of guitar, one type of amp, and you have to make these type of songs. You know, you're, it's going to drive you to be more creative just because there are limitations. I, I, there's probably like some sort of phrase for that. I, I start coming to mind right now. But. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a big fan of kind of like limiting myself as far as what I do because I know I, if I have too many options, like I'll just start going down production rabbit holes. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I don't think. Yeah, unless I, unless you're on some sort of deadline. Yes. So I think for. When I'm like writing a song, I don't really like doing that. I like going into the studio and having everything already set up. Like everybody already has the demo. They know what their parts are, whatever. Sure. So you can take the time to go in there and be like, well, let's try this take with this guitar. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like that approach. It's, it's nice to have, you know, everybody can, can do their homework. And, you know, you expect that your musicians, especially if they're hired, to do their homework and know the track. And then once you get into the studio that's when you can be creative and try to like maybe do different flavors or throw a curveball at one of your, you know, your guitar player by say, Hey man, don't play that last ball. I want you to play this Rickenbacker or yeah. this different ty type of guitar. You know, I, I like that approach. It is, it is a uh, unique. It definitely can bring out uh, a lot of goodness in uh, your recordings. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's it, all about execution though. Sure. You know, I think when I look back on different things that I've done, like every time I get done with something, I'm like, okay, well, this is what worked, but I really don't have even that thought until after I figure out what didn't work. You know what I mean? Like I can listen back to something and be happy with it, but the first time, the first couple of times listening to it, I'm just going to hear what I did wrong, you know, or sure. what oh. didn't, what didn't go over so well, whether it's my vocals or whatever, you know? Right. I mean, that's how we learn and get better by making a bunch of bad songs and a bunch of bad recordings because then after we've made a bunch of bad ones, we know how to not make them bad and then we have a good one. <laughs> yeah. In theory. Uh, the other thing that happens to me is after I listen to something like 15 or 20 times after it's done, I never want to fucking hear it again. Sure. Uh, I mean... I get burned out on shit easy. I understand that. You know, there's, there's two types of songs that I write. Good ones and bad ones. And the good ones, I go and record them, and they're done. The bad ones, I go and record them, and I keep working on them in the recording phase until they become good songs. So Interesting. It's just, it's just a matter of time. It's just sometimes, I think it's like a, there's like a Jack White quote that, that he, when he, whenever he was an upholsterer, he said sometimes, you know, he would get something shabby, and he says, I don't think I'm ever going to make anything good out of this couch. But then he'll just get to work re-upholstering the couch, and then at the end of the day, he gets done with it, and it's and it's something. And he's like, "Wow, that thing actually turned out pretty good." And that's kind of my philosophy. And I think I think he, in the context of him saying that in some Guitar World magazine from like 2008, I think he said that uh, that that that's kind of his philosophy with songwriting as well. And and you know, I, I've always like thought of that. Um, 
as, as you know, I've, I've kind of gone off of that too. And it's helped me make a lot more songs. Like a lot of songs I thought immediately, oh, I'm just going to throw this one out. I don't ever throw away songs anymore. Even if I think they're bad or awkward or, or I just keep working on it until I can make something of it, you know? And I, I think that's, that's how I've gone from becoming like an artist that just wrote one song at a time to I'm, I, I'm still, I mean, I'm still growing as an artist, but I'm starting to notice I'm making like groups of songs. that sound similar now, like maybe three or four songs, you know, and I push myself to do an album. Um, and I think that with, with this record, play that rock and roll, that's kind of what came of it. You know, there was, maybe three songs I really loved and a couple of songs they were going to be throwaways or just like joke songs or, or songs I would send off to just eventually become instrumental stuff that would just get licensed and things like that. But I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to, I'm going to force myself to put some lyrics down on it. And, you know, some of the lyrics came out funny and some of them came out serious and kind of like emotional. But at the end of the day, I, I think I have, I have and or have and had a really good batch of songs that I'm, you know, really proud of to put on this record. Uh, you know, and I think, it's it's just um i guess it's me maturing i guess a little bit as an artist and, yeah. and, and realizing that not everything i write is going to be a great song you know because i was unfortunately whenever i was uh 17 or 18 I, I wrote a song that was able to get on a bunch of radio and you know got a little bit of notoriety and helps like it helps when your band's starting off and you have a popular song to get to you're able to book yourself you're able to like make a video off of it you're able to, you know, get guys that are invested in you. When I say guys, I mean band members, uh, guys or gals, to be invested in you as an artist to say, this guy, speaking of myself, you know, has a really great song and a really great video to go with it. Yeah, I want to play in his band. And he gets shows and he's he's serious about it. And, and I think that's, if you, you have to take yourself seriously um, for other people to take you, to, to, to think of you as a serious person. And I think that goes, you know, I think we've had conversations before, you know, I, I, I've, I've, played in the dive bar a lot and I don't always been I don't always want to be playing in the dive bar the rest of my life no. eventually I want to evolve and play some nicer venues and, and things like that and I think with having your 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 songs polished and having a nice video accompaniment and you having all of your social media stuff in order that's able to get that that's what helps you get booked and helping you get booked in the big places or the nice places or the places that you know you're going to get that quality that caliber of musician like you know more professional musicians are going to want to play with you well, that's the pursuit, you know. I think for myself, I I don't even know what I'm chasing. Sometimes I'm just chasing uh, chasing better, better sure. than I was the last time. Sure. Because if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Sure. No, I I I think I definitely can speak to that a little bit too. Uh, always chasing better, but at some point you have to take a step back and be like, wait a minute, what am, what am I doing here? Like there was a time in Pittsburgh when I was playing in like four or five different bands, as well as my own. And I was, I guess, just kind of at the end of every, every week, I was just so exhausted from, you know, like, oh, we did this tribute set set for Halloween. Now we got to go do this other set for this person. And, and, and we have to do these, this Beatle cover set. And I'm like, what? I, I don't understand. It's not, I mean, it's good that you're playing and everything. It's making you more of a professional musician. But at some point I have to say like, okay, what are my goals here? Are my goals to just be a musician that plays around town in Pittsburgh? Or, or, or are my, my goals, are, or is it to write better songs to create better recordings, to make albums, to get those albums on the radio, to get music videos for the songs, to, you know, get YouTube and, and fan interest online and locally, you know, just because I, I felt like for a while, whenever I was, and I am from, from the Pittsburgh area, you know, I would, we were playing probably, probably 50 shows a year, like locally in Pittsburgh. But why? Why was I grinding like that so hard in Pittsburgh? You know, we would do maybe 50 a year in Pittsburgh and then like maybe, uh, well, I would say 50 a year total maybe, and then like maybe 
15 of those were out of town. And when I say out of town, I mean like Cleveland or Akron or somewhere not even that far Regional. away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then, it, then, we, then we started saying like, okay, now we need to start. And it's good to build shows around like your, your home city or whatever. You know, if you're doing like Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Akron, um, where else? Morgantown, West Virginia, State College, Pennsylvania. We started going a little bit further out. You know, we would tour up through like Toronto, which is actually not that far from Pittsburgh. Uh, we would do like Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, come back down. Uh, and then we said, you know, we, we got to go to South by. So we went to South by and, we, you know, stopped in Nashville and played back there. But it just became, uh, you know, a thing. The first time we did it, we, we were promoting a record that we just put out. Right. Then the second year we did it, we were just doing it to do it. And the third year we were doing it to do it. So we just kept, we got kind of got stuck in that phase of like, we're just going to tour and tour and tour, but we weren't promoting anything. So it was harder for us to get press because, you know, the idea is you tour because you have an album um, and then that kind of goes hand in hand. Because I notice even in Nashville, there's a lot of bands. There's bands that play all the time, and that's all they do. And they release a record like once every make three to five years. And there's bands that just make recording after recording after recording, and they're releasing a single a month. And there's the, but the bands to me that are having the most success are the bands that are balancing that. You know, they're they're making recordings on a consistent basis, high quality high quality high quality recordings. And then they're touring in support of that, and they're going back, completely changing gears. Because whenever you're touring or playing out, you know this because you're a pro guy. You know you're in work mode, play perfection, everything. But then changing gears to get in that creative writer's mode—that's so hard to do. Oh yeah. You know, it's it's not something. It's not like a switch you can flip. You know, it's, for me, it takes like a little bit of time just to make. You have that to transition. ease your way into it. But look, looking at all the different types, obviously the the dream is to like write, record an album, go on tour and support that album, and have another album right away done after that. that I mean, that's hard to do. But to me, the the I think my, my mental, it's from a mental health, I think that's the, the, the goal. Right now, I feel like I'm more of in a writing phase, you know, like, you know, with pumping out a lot of songs and, and you know, kind of making the, and especially with the whole pandemic thing, you know, it kind of made me change gears, say, hey, if I want to survive as, as an independent musician, we can't play shows for a year. I need to, you know, reevaluate my social media, put some more content out on YouTube, you know, whatever. But going back to that, there's bands that are just stuck and they're just always going to be playing shows and they're going to be playing shows on the same bars and the same venues for the next five to 10 years because they're not releasing music that has any substance to it. And they're just, and if they do it, it's just, I, I just, I felt like I got stuck in that for a while. And I, I, I hope somebody's listening that can, that, that they can, like can kind of relate to that, you know, because the, the, the idea is to balance, you know, between the two things you, you kind of follow. Or yeah. I'm... Oh, absolutely. No, I think someone who does that really well is year of October. Oh my gosh. Yes. They're, yes. they're super smart. They're very business savvy. They're good people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a balance to, uh, to try and do that. You know, for, for myself, I've, I've always just kind of been a side man. Sure. So it's been at the mercy of whatever, someone else this decision is you know right you don't really have much of an option other than just like you get the songs and you show up prepared and you show up on time and that's really all you can do because it's like as a bass player you know you, you are usually last on the list to make it any kind of decision depending on what project you're a part of you're like one of the final pieces usually so a lot of things are already decided before you come in. So you're just basically showing up and doing the Falling job. Charts, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that is tough. It's, it's for, for me. I'm a control freak, and I I like you know because I did the sideman thing, especially when I moved to Nashville. I did the sideman thing for a couple of different bands, you know, with for friends and then for just random strangers that like just 
just hired me because, you know, that Yep group or Young Entertainment Professionals Facebook group that I found people. And, and I, I just didn't, it didn't give me the joy that playing my own music to, did. And I, I think, uh, you know, for me, I would rather have people tell me a good job. Hey, you did a great job. I love that song. It, it, to me, if it's my song, it makes me a lot more happy than if it's oh, somebody else's 100%. song. Not, not to sound selfish or anything. And, and, and you know, not, not to, to throw shade on any of the bands that I played with uh, you know, when I was doing the Higher Gun thing, because they're, they're all great, too, in their own way. Uh, they have great songs in their own way. But I, I, I just get a little bit more of a high from you know, whenever people enjoy my own songs or you know, that type of thing. Definitely, yeah. I mean, for myself, the, the only real quote-unquote solo song I released was Gina Gina, and I'm not, I'm not even singing on that one. Sure. So it was but like, you wrote it. I wrote, you wrote it. wrote the words and the lyrics. And yeah, everything. I produced it, came up with all the melodies and, and played bass and got everybody in the same room and all that. But, uh, you know, I think for myself, what I started realizing, I, I was in a writing phase during the pandemic too. Sure. Because I didn't have anything to do except to like think and ruminate and like, in order for me to write, I have to be meditating pretty consistently. Like, I've found that just sitting and ruminating on whatever and trying to clear my mind and rinse, lather, repeat that cycle. It's like when I sit down, I might have an idea. I got to have a couple ideas before I have one that catches. Sure. You know what I mean? It's like I write songs in batches myself, kind of like what you were talking about earlier. Sure. And a lot of the songs that I was writing, um, for the first time, I felt like we're really capturing the kind of stuff I wanted to talk about and the kind of stuff that I, I saw. And a big part of that was I was I was watching like S. Craig Zoller. Do you know who he is? He's a director. No. He directed the movie Bone Tomahawk, uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99, and uh, another great movie called Drag Across Concrete. And he just has like this very gritty realism to all his movies. Sure. It's almost like realism that's exaggerated. You know, I, I don't even know if that makes sense, but he's so fucking good at um, at just making things just super grimy. You know, like his, his movies are like art house meets like grindhouse. Sure. So it's the mashing of two worlds, and I really like that. And when I was writing, I was really influenced by him. And I started writing all these different songs, like one of the ones that I, or a couple of them that I've showed you, like that one song, Deception Pass. Uh, the lyrics are super dark to it, but I, sometimes you just have to let out whatever is in there. And I've, I've found that when I let that out, I'm getting into less trouble in my normal life where I have to interact with people. Oh, like, sure. Like I can act this out as a, as a fantasy almost. Right. I mean, even like that goes back to the whole thing. Like, you know, like if you have a kid that's acting out in school, you know, as, as a teenager, your dad buys you guitar and then, it's, and then instead of getting into fights in school, you just go home and play large, loud guitar through a distorted amp. You know, that's just, it's, I think it's, it is definitely a release. And I think it's great for your mental health to be, you know, one playing music. And then two, I think, you know, it, writing songs too because it's not like a um you get like a like a mental tiredness or mental like like you know sometimes you go to bed like after a long day of like writing songs and writing lyrics I can sleep really well because I feel accomplished it's like a state of mental health type of thing like I feel like I, that, that type of thing it's just it's something that uh I don't know it just helps helps me rest <laughs> yeah no I know when I start getting kind of moody like 
and I'm writing a song, I'm like, okay, I can finish this song. Like sure. once I start feeling this weird moody feeling, I can power the rest of the way through and capture whatever that emotion is. Sure. And it, it'll catch whatever it is. And I just have to ride the wave. Sure. And a disclaimer, I'm going to call myself out on my own BS, but the secret to songwriting is not, you know, this, I need to go do this, this special thing and go experience this vacation and then come back and write a song or I need to go, you know, sometimes you get a song, if you go to Chicago, you write in a song in a hotel room or something, you know, when you're on the road, but truly the secret to writing songs is hard work. You know, you go upstairs and you sit down and you lock the door and you leave your phone outside and you don't come out of that room until you have three verses written, you know, <laughs> you know, good verses, good functional verses. Yeah. And you can, and you can go in the studio and tweak that. Or if you have a producer you're working with, they might change a couple rhyming words. That's fine. But really the secret to it is you're not, you're not going to get it done unless you don't lock, unless you lock yourself in a room somewhere. That's just, that's just the, the, the for me anyway, that's how yeah. it works. <laughs> you have to, you have to enter that flow state. Sure. Of where uh, time just disappears. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, if if you're like you know you don't have any responsibilities on Saturday and you're just gonna work and you're not gonna be distracted by television or anything like that, you're just gonna. Yeah, but it's it's hard to set that time aside. I don't know. I, I it's, it is for me yeah. at least. I don't know. It's sometimes you know it, it, you try work. Sometimes I would try uh, like waking up early and working on a song in the morning or working on a, so- a song like at like 11 o'clock at night to like one. I, I feel like sometimes it just, uh, my, my mind is in a different state at like eight o'clock in the morning than it is at like one o'clock in the afternoon. I feel like for times a day, I guess it doesn't really matter, but I don't know. Every once in a while you get a random song that pops out at like 1 a.m. Or, or a random song that pops out in a random city. And those, those ones that write themselves, those are nice, but I can't depend on those. No. Like, <laughs> like those are great to have. They really are, but you just can't depend on to have a whole record of songs that just popped out like that. Iggy Pop, I read this great quote from him one time. He said he has to write in the morning before he starts lying to himself to get through the day. <laughs> okay. I like that. I mean, I don't necessarily write in the morning, but yeah. Um, no, I'd say, I mean, if you don't, I think you, you should push yourself to try and just see what happens. You know, you might write a song that's different than your, your typical type of song you write or, you know, just different, different set of emotions. Your, your mind is in a different place in the morning, you know, before you go, before, uh, like, you know, you, you get, get, get about your normal daily functioning and I guess, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is that effort, though, that you have to take in order for anything to happen. Because if you don't take that oh, effort, yeah. have you ever had writer's block? Do you believe writer's block exists? It doesn't exist because, you know, you have, you have writer's block and then, you, I mean, well, let's, let's take a step back first. There's so many things that goes into being a band, right? And you can go down that path of only writing or only playing shows. We just talked about that. Um, if you have writer's block, go do something else for a little bit. Like, you know, work on a couple social media posts or go like email a couple of venues that you want to play at, you know, just put something together, you know, because you don't want to waste your time. If you have a good six hours to get work done, you know, you want to be productive and things like that. And, you know, uh, sometimes when you're under the gun, you write a good song. If you have a recording session that's next week because you just booked it and you need to have another song, that song, you're going to have a song by the time that recording session comes around. Same thing with, um, same thing with it. Like if, like if I'm playing a solo acoustic set and it's for 45 minutes, and I only have 30 minutes of genre 
specific material, if it's you know a specific type of you know gig, I, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have 45 minutes by the time I play that gig, you know, whether I like it or not. So it's just a matter of just uh, you, you, there's different settings you need to put yourself in, I guess, or, or sometimes naturally you're gonna be in a setting like that. But I just I like to kind of it's it's a weird type of like goal to set, but it's like a goal like uh, it's like lighting a fire on your under your own butt <laughs> to get stuff done. Is that something that you learned how to do through music or? Was it something instilled in you when you were a kid? Uh, yeah, I would say definitely my dad was, was pretty, um, I mean, he was, he was a really driven guy and he helped myself, he, you know, he, he set a lot of, he, he, my dad lit a lot, a lot of fires underneath me to get stuff done, you know, in, in a good way, um, you know, and, and I think that was a good habit, you know, just uh, going through college to have that kind of mentality, like, let's get this done. And then I'll have more free time to do other things. You know, let's write this whole album, and then I'll have more free time to book shows or to promote it or to you know do do other you know delayed gratification. What do you mean delayed gratification? Well, you're thinking about the future you, sure, and what you want to do in the future. And right now, oh, I yeah. need to get this done in order to right. be able to I do mean, that. I mean, the minute you release a song, you want to say, "Oh, I want to put this online and share it with everyone." That's the dumbest thing you can do in 2021 as as an independent artist or as any artist, really. You need to put a whole marketing plan together. You need to have it packaged, and you need to have the nice press photos that go with the branding, right? You, there's there's so much that goes into it. You can't get that. There's you know there's there's guys like this all the time, and and I I spoke with. Um, um, bangs from the band Bloodroot, and she said it the best. She said, you know, the pandemic really let us see who the true musicians are because all those guys that were just playing in bands Friday nights, they just wanted that instant, instant gratification to go out and get drunk and, and hook up and things like that. That's gone. So those guys aren't even playing right now. They're just going to wait till the COVID's over. The real yep. musicians are the one that are down in the fox, or not in the fox, but they're down in their, in their rabbit holes making music and everything. And I, I thought, I, I was like, yeah, that's, that's true because I think she, we were t- it was like me, her, and Isaac talking at the time, and Isaac was we both agreed like wholeheartedly. We were like, yeah, that's, that's it. That's literally is it. Well, the, the, the scope of everything in the world changed during COVID. And I mean, Nashville changed too, of course, just because it was a town that thrives off of both music and tourism. Sure. And yeah. both oh, those yeah. things disappeared. Um, but not if you wanted it to. I, I think like all of us, like everybody that kind of runs in our crew, they all just got themselves busy with stuff. I mean, there's, there's so much that you, I mean, you can survive as an independent artist without ever having to play a show. And I would even argue the point, like why play shows anymore? Unless you have like a really good tour and you're opening up for someone, but why play? I mean, I get like networking and stuff. Like if you're new to town, but why play? Why why burn yourself out with playing a ton of shows? Because if you play that show on a Tuesday night at you know Springwater, and there's four people there after that set, you spent you know how many hours rehearsing for? It's done, and yes. four people saw it. Or you can spend the same amount of time recording one song and doing a nice video for it, and that one song will be you know as, as long as the internet exists, it's always going to be there, and people will be able to watch that. So I think a lot of artists, especially independent artists, need to realize that put your effort into into making like good quality content. And the shows will come. If you have good quality music, good quality videos out there, the shows will come. And you, I mean, you're going to get a band, like if you, if, if, you know, because people will see that you're serious. And, and like I said, I, we're circling back to this conversation, but it's just, I, I think the, the pandemic was a health, healthy slap in the face to a lot of musicians. Because it, it was for it, me. It was, it was like a reset button, too, for the guys. Like, I mean, and no offense to you, but I know you were a guy who's working a ton, taking any call you can get to play bass. Yeah. But, at some point, you, you got to take a step back and say, why why am I taking this gig? You know, I'm going to get $40, but 
you know, it's it, how is this gig going to help me in the long yeah, run? Yeah, no, we, we had talked about that because I was starting to get a couple months ago, like increasingly frustrated because everything's opening back up. And it, the kind of shit I don't want to do anymore is going to Knoxville for $50. You know what I mean? Like it's enough to pay for your gas and Waffle House on the way back and that's it. Sure. I would say, yeah. And, and going off of that too, like going to Knoxville and back, that's like, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't necessarily make that a destination. That's like a stepping stone gig. Like if you have a nicer gig on Saturday in Atlanta or something, you yeah. can play at Knoxville on Friday night. But yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I never understood why bands go three, four hours and play one show and then come back home right after that. Like, it doesn't make sense to me financially. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, it doesn't make sense financially. But here's the thing with, with a lot of musicians, though. They're not, for the most part, business-minded, you know? And I think uh, I, I've seen it a ton, man. And you can, you can probably attest to this, too. Like, there are people here that are the most talented people you will ever imagine. And I imagine even back in Pittsburgh, you feel that way about people too, where you're like, this person is fucking incredible, but they don't get past that stage of being a big fish in a small pond. Sure. Oh, yeah. Pittsburgh's horrible with that. Yeah. <laughs> At least Nashville. It's like the, the big fish in this pond are like nationally like known in Pittsburgh. Yeah. It was, you know, I, and you know, God, God bless Donnie Iris and, and, and all them, you know, because they are great, but it's, it's tough. You know, every, every city has a, you know, like if you're, it's Donnie Iris for Pittsburgh, it's Michael Stanley for Cleveland, but in Nashville, the guys who are the top of the game are like the guys that people talk that about are everywhere. The, yeah. Like that you think are of, you think of, of rock, game. who are the top rock guys in, in Nashville? Well, I was like, well, you have Jack White, you have the Black Keys, you have the Kings of Leon. Like those are pretty. KG uh, Elephant. KG Elephant. Yeah. Those are, those are all national bands. Like you think, I mean, we won't even talk about country because the list is just, too long to even mention any names, mm-hmm. but there's a lot, even like the Americana people that are here. Jason Isbell, uh, Chris the, Stapleton. Top of the game. Yeah. Sturgill Simpson. He's, he's, he's here too, right? He doesn't live in Nashville anymore, but he cut yeah. his teeth here. Sure. I heard Greta Van Fleet just moved to Nashville too. So there's another one. Add that to the rock list. Yeah. You know, you know they're, they're a polarizing band for rock fans. Say what you want about them, but they live in Nashville. You know, there's, there's and they hustle. They, yeah. Yeah. They're actually doing it. It's like, Greta Van Fleet, you know, a lot of people love to talk shit about them and laugh at them and shit. I don't put fe- your money where your mouth yeah. is. If you're gonna do that, yeah, that's the way I feel. It's like, are they a Led Zeppelin ripoff? Hey, that is not for me to decide. But they can play and they write good songs. I will say too, there is a song on the record. It's called "Bad Place." My record, play that rock world. James Barner played played the uh, uh, drums on it. Uh, coming out. And I, 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 I recommend go checking out that song. And the reason I wrote that song, the reason I sang on that song is because I said, you know what? Screw Greta Van Fleet. I'm not going to go on Facebook and talk crap on them. I'm going to write a song that's better than them. I'm going to sing in that style that's better than they have. And this song, it is better than anything Greta Van Fleet does. I'm, I'm serious. And I recorded yeah. this song myself. But I, go listen to the song when the record comes out. If, and if you can't wait that long, email me or something and I'll send you the song. You can be the judge for yourself. But I'm... I, I am saying it is better than Greta Van Fleet, you know, and I think Isaac would agree, and I think there's a lot of people that would Isaac agree. would definitely agree. <laughs> yeah, but it's just it's just a matter of, you know, the marketing, you know, the, how, how much money mar- marketing do I want to spend on that song and how much, you know, because that, that, that's, that's the whole thing with Greta Van Fleet. They have a really great marketing team, and 
uh, and they, they have a good look and, and everything. But uh, but yeah, it's it's it is what it is. Yeah. Put, put your money where your mouth is if you're going to talk crap on someone, you know. And if 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 I ever do run into Greta Van Fleet someday, I'm gonna you know in Nashville or wherever at the bar, I'll say, hey, check out this song I just did. It's I did it because you guys inspired me to do this song, and I and I hope they take it the right way, not in the wrong way. Yeah, it was like I tried to top what you guys did, and you know they can listen to it. It's like, nah, you didn't top it, Van, and they, or they might say like, oh, he did top it. We need to go make something better. And I think for me. I've always had a healthy rival. It's good to have a rival. It's healthy for me to have a rival. I, I don't know what my rival thinks of that, but I, I've, I've, in periods of my life when I didn't have a rival, you know, growing up, it was my best friend and I, Tony Marino. You know, we both started playing guitar in like the fifth or sixth grade, and it was every single like day, day we'd get together after school, I'd be like, oh, check out what I can play. Be like, oh, well, I can play a better solo than that, and if I couldn't, I would go home and make sure I could play a better solo. And you know, that's how we got good at guitar. In the same way, growing up in Pittsburgh, there was a, a you know a group. Of, we had a group of bands. Well, they, we were like healthy rival bands. We were trying to like, um, you know, outdo each other with our sound, songs and our releases and our shows and everything. And eventually, um, eventually, eventually, you know, you, 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 one band falls off, or you know, they they you know they go and have a hiatus or something. But I, I think that's that's a good healthy thing for me. That's I mean that's just how I tick. <laughs> On that note. Where can people find your music? Where can they find you? What's all your social medias? Sure, you can go to www.semisupervillains.com. It's semi like a truck, supervillain. Make sure you spell villain right, V-I-L-L-A-I-N. Some people spell it I-A-N, be villain, like civilian, villain. No, villain. Spell villain right. Don't be dumb. Semisupervillains.com. It's all over Spotify, iTunes. We have Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You can find it anywhere. I would I would recommend YouTube. YouTube is uh, is uh, has been our hot social media platform as of late. I think we're almost up to two thousand subscribers at this point. So nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you to Sunny and Road Street Productions for having Violet Moons this past Saturday night. We played. It was fantastic. It was a house show. I thought for sure the cops were going to break it up, but they never did because we were just in the middle of a neighborhood. And, um, I was in full Joker makeup. Aubrey and Kira did my makeup. Uh, Josh and Aubrey were dressed as Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. Kira was like an alien. And then, uh, Mike Raseel, who's been playing drums, uh, was a witch. But that was a, a great experience. We had a really fun time playing, uh, in full costume, all that good shit. Cause it is the season. Um, and this, uh, tonight, October 27th, MCM is putting on a show at Cabana Taps featuring the Slow Drag, Damon Mitchell, David Young, and the Industry Kings, and then Garden of Eden. Uh, this is a free show. It is a costume show. So it is uh, Dress Your Favorite Music Decade. And then lastly, we have here a show Friday, October 29th, this Friday at Mercy Lounge, Dark Masquerade is throwing a pop Halloween show and costume party. It is $15 in advance, $20 at the door, featuring Talia Stewart, Austin Blue, Gail, and Notel. So go check that out. And this next song that we're about to play is Joyride, your new single. Leading single off the Leading album. Leading single off the album. Here it is. Here it is. 